The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. This morning we pick off up with where we left off last week in our study through the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has returned home to Capernaum, most likely to Peter's house. And there is a great crowd that is pressing in around him. The crowd is so great that Jesus is unable to eat. The pressures of the ministry, the, the, the time of teaching, um, the, the, the amount of the crowd is so great now that's following Jesus everywhere he goes that um, special things need to take place, like having a boat, ready to get in a boat to get away from the crowd or not being able to eat. The scribes have come from Jerusalem, not simply to come and to hear what Jesus has to say, but to come in an attempt to catch him in something that would disqualify him. And now they are actively pursuing and looking for ways to silence, to kill, and to destroy him. As Jesus has come back to Peter's home here, we learned in the previous section in the Gospel of Mark that his family, in verse 21, that his family had heard of all that had happened and they had came out to seize him, saying that he is out of his mind. This word seize here used uh, about 19 times in the Gospel of Mark, eight of which pertain to the arrest of Jesus, that they've come to take him by force because they think he's out of his mind. Um, we had a, a, a short interlude there with the scribes um, making this accusation that Jesus is possessed by Satan and Jesus is warning of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And now in verse 31, we get back to Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers who have come to seize him and what they do. They are coming for him. And in this process, Jesus makes a shocking statement about who really is his family and what it takes to be adopted into his family. That's what we see in the text this morning. Verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and they called him. You see the, the picture here. You can put yourself there in that place in Capernaum, standing outside looking at Peter's house. The crowd is so great that the house is totally full. full. The doorway is full. The entryway is full. The courtyard is full. And so Mary and the brothers of Jesus have come to get him, but they are unable to get to him because the crowd is so large. And so they sent word up through the crowd to Jesus. That's, that's the image that you, you get here. They come, they're trying to get it, and they're telling someone, hey, I, I'm Mary, the, we're... We're the brothers and family of Jesus. And could you let him know that we're here and we need to see him? And so word begins to filter its way through the crowd and up to Jesus. 
Um, in Mark chapter 6, we have a listing of the, the brothers of Jesus. Mark says, um, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, that's his mother, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And so Jesus has half-brothers and at least one, um, probably more, half-sister, the children of Mary and Joseph. And so they've come in verse 32. And the crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mothers and your brothers are outside seeking you. So get the picture here. Get the image. Jesus standing in the home of Peter, teaching and preaching to the crowd that's gathered around him. And in the middle of it, as word begins to filter up through the crowd, Jesus is interrupted as... um, Someone tells him that your mother and your brother, they are looking for you. And Jesus' response to this is shocking. And we should be shocked by it. Jesus takes this opportunity, this interruption in his preaching and teaching. He takes this opportunity to teach them truth. Verse 33, and he answered them by asking this question. Who are my mother and my brothers? And then before they get the opportunity to answer, Jesus answers. And he looks out over those who have gathered together in the home of Peter and are spilling out through the door into the courtyard. And he says, these, these are my mother and my brother. Matthew adds that Jesus, in that moment, stretches out his hand. That he lifts up his head, he stretches out his hands, and he says, these, these gathered here around me, these are my mother and my brothers. Now, this is shocking because I want you to think about, I want you to remember, to keep in mind the setting here, because it's important. Who is this that is gathered together in Peter's house listening to Jesus? Who is it? Well, Mark has already told us that all of the sick in the whole region have come. You also get this imagery here. That what Jesus is saying is that those who are outside, those who are without, they are not my closest family. It's those who are here with me. These are the ones that are closest to me. You, you get that, that juxtaposition here in the text that His mother and his brother came and standing outside, they were without him. They were outside. They weren't near him. And Jesus, looking up his head and stretching out his hand, says, No, it's not those who are outside that are the closest to me. It's not those who are outside that are my mother and my brother. It's those who are right here with me, hearing my word. It's these that are closest to me. Now, It is important 
for us to stop and to point out that Jesus is not reducing the role and the importance of the family. So we don't want to take this. Jesus' mother and his brothers, biological, his nuclear family has come. And Jesus says, no, they're not my family. You're my family. We don't want to take that and think that what Jesus is saying is that the the family is not important. Um, That's the total opposite of what Jesus has to say. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus affirms that marriage is between one man and one woman. And in doing so, he affirms the marriage relationship and the marriage covenant. In Mark 10, Jesus supports the inclusion of children. In Luke chapter 2 verse 51, Jesus returns home and Luke tells us that Jesus honored his mother and was submissive to her as his mother. In John 19, as Jesus is on the cross, he shows compassion and care for his family to make sure that they are cared for. So don't read this and get to the nuclear family doesn't matter. It does matter. It was instituted by God and therefore it matters. And I would argue that almost all of the ills of a society can be traced back to the breakdown of the family. So we don't want to read this and we don't want to think that Jesus is negating the place of the family. The marriage relationship, the procreation of children, the institution of the family is built into the creative order and it is important and it matters. But what Jesus is saying is that just because you are related to me, that does not make you a part of his inner circle. Here's what that means. It means that you don't get in just because you are familiar with church. There are a lot of people on the day of judgment who are going to be shocked when Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you because they thought that they were in good shape because they were familiar with the church. Familiarity with the church does not get you in. Your family ties do not make you a Christian. It doesn't matter if your dad was a pastor or your grandfather was a pastor or if you were raised in church or brought up in a good home. None of that matters when it comes to the state of your soul and whether or not you are a part of the family of God. I have heard it said, and it is true, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. You're not in because of your family ties. And so Jesus' response here is an imperative. What he is saying is, as he raises his head and he raises his hands over the crowd in Peter's house, he says, look at these. Look at these gathered here. These are my mother and my brother. Shocking. This is the sick. This is the ill. This is the previously demoned possessed. These here, they are my family. These are the ones 
who are closest to me. These are the ones whom I love and who I regard as my own. And that really gets to the heart of the issue. Your family, your family are those that you regard as your own. And as Jesus looks up and as he stretches out his hands, he says, these here gathered together, these are those that I regard as my own. This is my eternal spiritual family. Jesus is not lowering the place of the nuclear family. He is elevating the place of the spiritual family. And what Jesus takes this opportunity to do is to teach them the doctrine of adoption. In Romans 8, Verses 14 through 17, Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with them in order that we may also be glorified with him. That if we are led by the Spirit of God, Paul says, then we have received from God by his grace his Spirit. And his Spirit dwells in us to, to, to teach us, to show us that we are now children of God. And if we are his child, then we can cry out to him as our Father. And if we are his child, then we are joint heirs with Christ. Guess what that is? A joint heir. It's a brother. We're a brother with Christ. And all that is promised to him in eternity now is shared with us because we're a part of the family. John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John 3, 1 and 2 See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. I love that Verse 2, we are God's children now. Here's what that means. That means that we were not God's children. But now, by the grace of God, we have been made God's children. Spiritually, when justification comes, when we're made right with God, spiritually, in that moment, by His grace... We are united with God into his family. This is not a physical family. It's not a physical uniting. It doesn't have anything to do with the physical. This is Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. But it is not as though the word of God has failed 
For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Like the weight of this, it's, it's lost in a lot of ways on us if we're not careful. That a, a Jew thought and still does that to be a part of the family of God was physical. It was from their lineage. It was because of their, their genetics, their heritage, because of who their fathers, 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 fathers was, that you were born into the family and the people of God, that we're in because of our race. But that was never God's intention. That's what we sang this morning. That's what we read from the Old Testament this morning. From the very beginning of the promise to Abraham. That those who bless you I will bless. And those who curse you I will curse. And you will be a blessing. Your offspring will bless the whole world. And then you see as the sojourn. Those who are not. The Israelites, those who are not the Hebrews, are welcomed into the promised land of God. And now Jesus has come, the fulfillment of that promise, to say, to be counted in the family of God, to be adopted in, means that you can come from outside to inside. That's the whole point of adoption, right? That physically, this is not mine. But I'm taking him, I'm taking her as my own. This is what God has done. Galatians 3, 23 through 29. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come and we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither in the family of God Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, and you are heirs according to promise. The very promise that God made Abraham, that he would bless him, is now ours. Even though physically we're not his offspring, by faith, spiritually, we're adopted into his family. What great news. 
What great news. It doesn't matter who your mother is. It doesn't matter who your father is. None of that matters. It doesn't matter your background. You can be adopted. And with our adoption comes great privileges. We can speak to God and relate to him as our loving father. That's Romans 8, 15 and 16. We can be filled with and led by the Spirit. That's Romans 8, 14. We get to receive the loving discipline of God. That's Hebrews 12, through, 5 through 6. Now, we don't think of the discipline of God as a benefit, but oh, how it's a benefit because he's our loving Father and he's protecting us from what's harmful to us. We get the privilege of sharing in Christ's sufferings. Now, why is that a privilege? Because there's a promise that goes along with it. That when and if we share in the sufferings of Christ, then we get to share in his subsequent glory. That's Romans 8, 17. That God has, through Jesus Christ, made a way for all to be brought into his family, Jew or Greek. And so this should lead us to a most important question. How can I have this adoption? I mean, we've just seen from God's word, we've seen from the very words of Jesus that it, you, it, you are able, it is available for you to be adopted into the family of God regardless of who you are. And the question we should be asking then is, is how can I be adopted? Like, I want those things. I want those privileges. Well, Jesus tells us in our text, verse 35, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Those who Christ regards as his own are those who do the will of God. So if you want to be counted in the family of God, if you want to be adopted into God's family, then you do the will of God. Jesus says, for whoever does the will of God. Now that statement of Jesus is both inclusive and exclusive, right? It's inclusive because Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, whoever, no matter your background, no matter your upbringing, no matter what has come before, no matter what you think would disqualify you, whoever you are, Jesus is prepared to own you as his family. Whoever you are. Remember who's there. Whoever you are. Talk about being inclusive, whoever, but it's also exclusive, isn't it? Because it is only those who do God's will. Nothing else matters. So, this raises a question, doesn't it? And it's a question that paralyzes so many people. What is the will of God? 
how can you know what the will of God is? Well, I would argue that knowing the will of God and doing the will of God is a lot simpler than we think it is. I believe that this is one of the areas where the church, with good intentions, has over-spiritualized the matter and has caused a great number of people harm. And I've talked to countless people who are terrified that they've missed the will of God for their life. You see, we've we've been taught and we believe that God has a a specific will for our lives. And if if we deviate from that will, right? I mean, if we miss it, well, what if I missed it? If I missed it, if I just, if I stepped left one time when I should have stepped right, then that means that everything that came after that's not the will of God. I'm out of the will of God. And it paralyzes people to the point to where they, they just, they don't know what to do or how to do it. And what if I've missed the will of God? And, and everything from here on out, it won't be for my, my good. And, and they, they've been taught and they believe that if you make one deviation, then you've missed your destiny, right? Destiny. You can't turn it on TBN without hearing about your destiny. Your destiny. Man, this theology of destiny is not good. It's not good. Because guess what? Every time when that preacher talks about destiny, guess every time what that destiny is. Man, it's a hot wife and a good-looking husband and obedient children and nice homes and comfort and joy. That's destiny, right? You, you remember when, we, when Jesus selected his 12? I'm talking about his 12. If anybody had some great destiny, it's those guys, right? What happened to them? Every single one of them, with the exception of John, who died alone on an island, was killed, martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. It's good intentions. It's good intentions to say, make sure you're following the will of God in your life. But it's bad teaching. Because the will of God for your life has been made clear in his word. You don't have to sit back and and hope that you're in the will of God. We have reduced the will of God down to a feeling, an emotion, an intuition. It's not those things. It's laid out for us in his word. We don't have to wonder what it is. So how can you know the will of God? What is the will of God for every single one of us, regardless of who we are? The will of God for your life and the will of God for my life can be boiled down to two words. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. That is the will of God. John 6, 29. Jesus answered him. This is the work of God, or this is the will of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. 
You want to know what the will of God is? The will of God is that you believe in Jesus. That you trust Jesus. That's the will of God. That's the work of God. Now, it's, it's the trusting of Jesus. Now, it is so vitally important that you understand that as the primary component of the will of God. Because that informs how we understand what Jesus says in Mark chapter 3. When he says, those who do the will of God, they're my brothers, they're my sisters, and they're my mother. Because we read that. And we think that to do the will of God primarily is a work, right? Those who do the will of God, you know, we're, we're, we're good Americans. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get to work. At least we used to be. And, and when we see do the will of God, that's what we think. But the will of God isn't just obedience it's also faith and in being faith it's a work of grace it's a work of grace as God comes upon you and takes your dead heart of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh and enables you to trust in Jesus, to have faith in Jesus. What's the, the primary will of God? The primary will of God is to believe in the one who he has sent, to believe in Jesus, to trust in Jesus. To do the will of God is to trust the obedience to obey it's the result of the trusting. It's the evidence of the trusting. But the trusting comes first. John 14, 20 through 24. In that day you will know that I am my Father, am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. But whoever does not love me does not keep my word and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. What's the will of God? It's that you trust Jesus, that you love him, and then you keep his word. That's the will of God. You don't have to sit around and wonder. You don't have to hope that you figure it out. You don't have to grasp in the dark for what feels right. You trust him. You trust him in the moment of your saving faith and you trust him in every moment afterwards. And that trusting in him manifests itself. It makes itself evident in your obedience to his word. 
you trust him and you obey him, this is the will of God. Now you're sitting there probably and you're thinking, yeah, but what about things like where I, I go to college? Or what if I picked the wrong college? What if I was supposed to go to Alabama, but I went to Auburn? And if I'd have went to, to Alabama, I'd have met my, my real wife. But I didn't meet my real wife. I met somebody else and married her. And now I'm out of the will of God. Well, what about my major? How can I know what's God's will for my major? What's God's will for my job? What's God's will for who I'll marry? All of those things matter. But all of those things become clear in our trusting and our obedience. And here's what I've learned in my life. I want to trust God. I want to trust Jesus Christ. I want to trust him as my savior. And I want to trust him to provide every step of the way. And I want to do my best to be obedient to his word. And then where doors open, I'll walk through them. Where doors open, I'll walk through them. Where doors close, I won't go. And, but if I'm trusting Jesus and I'm obeying his words, those are the things that matter most. Those are the will of God for your life, regardless of where you work, regardless of what you do. He is the answer. You trust him, you obey him, and he will order your steps, and it won't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or the president of the United States. Jesus is interrupted. Your mother, your brothers, they're here. They're seeking you. He lifts up his head and he stretches out his hands to all those gathered around them. And he says, look at these right here. This is my family. These are the ones that God is working in. These are the ones that God, by his grace, is revealing who I am to. These are the ones that are trusting me. These are the ones that are doing the will of God. They're trusting and they're obeying. These 12, they're, they've trusted, they will trust, and they're obeying to the point of death. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you are a slave or a free person. It doesn't matter if you're a, a woman or a man. God's adoption is available for every single person who does the will of God, who trusts Jesus as their Savior and trusts Him in every decision with every step afterwards and who obey His word. They're the children of God. They're the children of God. And with adoption comes great privileges. Privileges that we don't deserve. We've got few people in our church who've been adopted. And they weren't adopted because they deserved it. I know them. And the same is true with God. He doesn't adopt us because we deserve it. He, he adopts us because he loves us. He adopts us because he's enabled us to have faith in his son. 
to obey his word and to do the will of God. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.